Welcome to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. The development podcast that walks you through the long journey of turning your love for basketball into next level success. Helping you to enhance your skills physically, mentally, and emotionally to become the best player you can be. Helping families make decisions along this long, arduous journey. Hearing valuable stories about family successes and failures during this exciting but uncertain time. Hi, we're your hosts, Daryl Adams and Rick Spence. In today's episode, Spence and Daryl welcome Marquise Bell to the studio to summarize and respond to questions from part one on toughness in episode 17. Be sure to subscribe to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. I want to remind you to check out Rhythm Dribble on social media. Like us, follow us, and leave a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send me your questions at CoachD at RhythmDribble.com, and I'll get to them later in this show or on future broadcasts. Also, we just launched Patreon, another platform for players and families to receive additional written, audio, and video content from Rhythm Dribble. We consistently search for ways to give you guys more. Speeding up the development process and guaranteeing real results is always on our minds. Patreon will serve as the bridge to the information that can create the success you're looking for. So join the Patreon family in our quest to drive development results. Help us to make a real and lasting impact. Go to patreon.com backslash rhythm dribble and choose a membership level. The link is also in the bio in the description of this podcast. In today's third and final episode on toughness, we welcome Marquise Bell to the studio again. This time to dive deep into toughness, both as a definition and as a tool for kids to reach their goals. We use a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth to help guide the conversation. It begins with a parent, a dad in this case, who sits at the dinner table and he criticizes his children. So when you read it, you automatically feel for the child, but I've been there. Um, There's this, you guys can take this over. There's this need to motivate the child and it doesn't always come out right. Certainly. Right? It happens to me daily probably. Right. She lived to make dad eat his words a bit. Many of the children don't get a chance to, right, really make the parent eat their words. And you'll, 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 you'll understand what I mean in a minute. But she's reminiscent of a time where dad was saying she wasn't smart, right? And while it seems harsh, we know that the parent is trying to motivate this child Right. And the child's too young to understand it. The mom's in the other room thinking that the child, that the dad's being insensitive. But I can relate to the dad who wants more from their child. But sometimes they never think about the potential damage to the relationship. To know the dad's motivation is to kind of let the dad off the hook. Do you guys think that sometimes parents go too far with this thing? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I think that every parent wants to do right by their kids, but oftentimes um, they don't have the tools to, let's say, motivate, you know, and sometimes I got to take a step back um, in, in my own mind because being um, being a, a educator, I went to school 
to educate, to learn how to motivate, to learn how to, you know, get a kid from A to B. So what's easy to me or what comes natural to me don't necessarily come natural to parents, right, who they're just doing and using the same tools that they've seen other parents use or they've seen their parents use to them, you know, and it's just a continuing cycle. I guess as it goes on and she continues to describe the moment, um, again, I talked about earlier where she had her moment because while dad spent a lot of time telling her what she wasn't, um, she's able to kind of fast forward in her life a little bit and offer us dad's humbling moment where dad offers this, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of your accomplishments. And she identifies that moment as, you know, her holding back her tears just because, you know, she awaited that moment so long. So I guess I offer that story to make sure that we as parents are cognizant that the child wants to please us, right? And sometimes we miss our opportunity to tell a child that, uh, that we're proud of them or that, they're on the right path or I'm riding in this journey with you, right? Those are some, some things I think that get lost. And you think about that right at the beginning of this, of this book. She said that if she could have those moments back with her dad, she'd speak up. She would tell him a, what she will do when she grows up and then B how she plans to get there. Even in spite of all the criticism. And she would remind him that, Dad, if you only knew what I'm going to be as an adult, right, or what I will do when I grow up, then maybe you'll change your approach to this thing, right? And I can, I can go back a little bit and think of some of those moments with my own dad. And I know for certain that if my sons could speak up as youngsters, they'd say some things to me that, uh, that, I'm, that, I, that would set me back a little bit. You follow me? Whereas my intentions were brave. They were, they were in the right place. But I think that us in our adult years and our experience, right, it's easy for us to forget what it was to be so young and so without tools, right, to be able to handle some of the things that we say to them. So, so it's a balance. It's a healthy balance that I think that parents somehow need to somehow need to figure out. I think she identifies that. So I think I got a lot out of that particular story. I think there's a lot to be received out of it. She went on to talk about how what she identifies in this book is that there are naturals in this world and then there are hard workers in this world. And then she tries to separate, she tries to separate at all costs this talented natural athlete or person and this gritty hard worker who has worked for everything that they've had and how one of those guys have become a little bit more reliable to her right so again she spent a few chapters developing this thing but i think at the end of the day she uses a number of psychologists and case studies just to try to figure this out and offer us some real advice about it all, right? And I think that, again, we can learn something from that. On the subject of grit, she uses the U.S. Military Academy at West Point 
Um, and she identifies very quickly what their mission statement is, right? First of all, West Point is identified as the preeminent leader uh, development institution. She goes on and she quotes right from the website. She talks about the U.S. Military Academy at West Point's mission is to educate, train, and inspire the Corps of Cadets so that each graduate is, com is a commissioned leader of character, committed to the values of duty, honor, country, and prepared for a career of professional excellence and service to the nation as an officer in the United States Army. When I read this thing, and Marquise will relate to it, and, and Coach Spence, who's just been around for years, I just, it's as it's important for them as a military academy to move kids through a continuum to be the best that they can be. I think I've always taken on that at Rhythm Dribble to just be very clear in terms of what the direction is of the program. So when you sign your kid up here, be very clear. The message has to be very clear that this is what we're trying to get from this thing. And I think that that's always been the message from the time you walk through the door. Absolutely, and I think uh, I think a big part of it is that um, we we found early that um, that that hard work we build character, right? And understanding who that you need to understand who that character is in order to move them, right? Um, and we figured that if we put them in a toughest training environment um, and and try to recreate a game-like scenario where they're in the most intense game um, somewhere in the city and the, the, the crowd is inches away from the sideline and everybody's yelling and the gym is hype. If we can get you to perform in that environment, then you're ready to perform at the highest level. Yeah. Keith, do you think going back, let's be honest, do you think that, and, and Spence gets on me a lot, should everybody be able to get in? Is it, is it too easy to get in a rhythm dribble or a West Point? Like if you sign up, sure you can come in here. I, I think the, the module, the module is the separator, right? The, yeah, anybody can sign up for, for, uh, for the military, right? As long as you can pass the, the um what is that the process that you get through go through to go face it yeah, yeah you you test. get through the process you can get to uh be in the military for a second but it's going through that that harsh environment is the separator right going through that environment is going to pick and choose who stays and who goes and they they choose that on their own but I so, wonder you guys go ahead go ahead Smith. Yeah, so so as you mentioned West Point, the parallels that I see with Rhythm Dribble are apparent. And she mentioned within the book, um, I just want to quickly go through one of the stories in that um you asked the question, is it easy to get in? So no, it's not easy to get into West Point. Right? Um, people they only take the top percent. They take the top of the top and and individuals, um, teens, they prepare their auditioning to get in and doing the right thing as community service, high grade point average, um, volunteering. They're doing it years prior in anticipation of applying to West Point. Um, and the same thing with Witham Dribble. Parents bring their child because they're looking to get better. They're looking to 
be successful at a sport and and if they are if they're not currently relevant become relevant if they are relevant um stay at the top of their game however um the author duckworth noted that what she didn't understand was individuals will spend years trying to get into west point only to drop out in the first two weeks and that's kind of what happens in rhythm dribble we speak about in some cases it being a leaky bucket why do people why do trainees come and they'll be there for a week or be there for a month and they're not there it's the same thing that happens in that first two weeks at west point right they see the regiment they see how tough it is and they see man it's gonna take a lot to get what i want and then they drop out and it was astonishing to her that someone would put a, that much energy that a parent would pay their hard-earned money and the resources and then have the child back out and not finish the rhythm dribble program and that's much like west point so those are the parallels that i saw is that only the strongest survive the toughest survive and and that's why you see the success out of the graduates from the west point um from the west point students you see the success after college because those are the best and they survived the test and went through those regiments yeah and again that's why I, that's why i asked the question is it too easy to get in rhythm dribble get in the door because the west point reality is that you have to apply so early right you need top sat act scores uh you need um you you start to like you said they start to fill out the application back in in 11th grade right you have to get nominations from congressmen and and in in some cases the vice president and senators there's a fitness assessment so this this west point this beast barracks is what they actually called this said was it a seven-week program yes right and it, it occupied you from 5 a.m. all the way through the door, asked you to, to perform fitness assessments and, and, and academic uh, 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 regimen, um, having little breaks throughout the day. Those are the same things. And again, I didn't pick this book. You laughed at me the other day, said that this book kind of aligns itself with some of the things that I preach a lot, Spence. But I didn't choose this book because it aligned uh, my son at UConn and they were reading it. So I picked it up and read it as well. And I was, I was astonished at how the standards are so high to get in. And then the regimen is so hard throughout it. And then after, like you said, it, everybody is fighting to get in. And then when they get in there, they don't end up making it. Yeah, and so before, I, I never answered the question, no, it's not too easy to get into a rhythm dribble because everybody should be allowed and afforded. It's it's not West Point, right? It's um, once you get in there, the the regiment and the rigor feels like that. However, everyone should hop, have the opportunity to to be good at this game and only because, as you and I know, the things that they learn at West Point are synonymous with what they're starting to learn at rhythm dribble right it goes it transcends the game of basketball it transcends any sport any adversity that you face in that gym can be the same adversity you face out there in this real world 
once things, um, once you start to begin your career, you've got to have to, you're going to have to fight through those things as well. So that's just a microcosm and you just get it earlier, but it, everyone should be allowed in. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Spence, man, Spence, I agree with you so much. Um, the transferable skills that you get from West Point and the transferable skills that you get from rhythm dribble are one and the same. Um, when we talk about um, commitment, right? When we talk about grit, when we're talking about dedication, um, those are the those are the transferable skills that that as a parent I'm looking for, right? I'm looking that to see that my kid is able to start a process and finish a process no matter what. Why? Because one day, right, they're going to pick up the phone. And on the other end of the phone is going to be the worst message they've ever received in their life, right? And who they are getting through that process is who they're going to be when they respond to this, to this message, right? And this hits home to me because I've had, I have family members that are very, very close to me that seem like they've been through a process. And in that process, you've seen bits of, you know, not being able to really handle pressure and then them get multiple phone calls in a month and their life has changed forever, right? And I don't want that for nobody's kid. And I think that rhythm dribble and the process and, uh, and the pressure cooker that we apply to kids are going to make them better in life. Like, forget about basketball. It's going to make them better in life. We always talk about the effort in there is, in there is important. You know, you have this image of this symbolic fireplace for them and the heat that comes from the fireplace is a direct reflection or result of the level of, of the amount of logs that they put in. So to, to put it in perspective, it's they go only as far as their effort will take them. And that's what I received as I read through this book and I said, you know what, we got to do a podcast on it and we've got to begin to talk about it because what it will start to do, it will start to have us maybe redefine a bit this toughness thing and begin to start to give the credit for the toughness to the right person, all right? Mm -hmm. Not that being physically tough or doesn't matter because I know that we disagree a bit on it, but this mental and physical toughness combined may start to make a new champion on the, on the basketball team and may have us to start to appreciate a different type of person in the world or a different type of person on the basketball court. And it may help us as parents to give the right advice to our own children in terms of making them someone who's going to be valuable to the game of basketball. All right, so as I read this book, I was, it was easy for me to start to have that conversation. Angela Duckworth, she was a teacher in public school, and it was surprising to her that the kids who were the talented kids in her class, whenever she would ask a question, they would answer it first. Or when she'd give an examination, they'd finish first or they seem to grasp concepts very fast. So to her, and Keith, we have faced this, we tend to believe that, A, that that child is going to always do well, 
as you sought to assess them. And then B is that the gap that they've created between them and the rest of the class will always exist. And if you translate that to basketball, we see it in the gym all the time where the kid who dominated early on, right? The perception about that child is that this kid is going to go all the way. And, And while you know that that's something that we need to be wary of, it's hard to not fall in line with the perception. I feel like, uh, you, you know, we see it all the time, um, especially with these YouTube sensations, right? These guys that uh, Instagram, social media, like they, they are the next one, right? And I don't know what it is about them being that person or, um, but you got these guys that are chasing them and they always tend to outpace them. The ones that stay committed, the ones that um, keep their head down, and they're not looking for the the same thing, right? They're not looking for the the attention right away, um, and they keep their head down and keep working, and and their work always seems to outpace them. If if you don't believe me, right? Look at the trend of the guys, these YouTube sensations when they go to college, right? Right. Transfer portal, very next year. Every time. It's not a surprise to me that as the author Duckworth continues on, that she says in very clear terms, which is consistent with with what you just offered, that the world pays a little bit too much attention to talented people, right? And there's no guarantees of the long-term growth, but if you put it in perspective, the guarantees probably lie with the hard workers who aren't getting early attention, right? She's able to identify that very clearly. I wonder at times if, if guys like, speak to this a little bit, if guys like the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs, are they the real tough guys or should they be included as well in this list of tough guys as we, identify this long list of tough guys in sports, right? Do they belong in the conversation as well? So for me, I'm not as sure, right? I know they're successful. Um, However, I'm not familiar enough with the journey that they had to take to become successful. I don't know if they've started several businesses that failed or faced adversity or had someone or just not believe in them to to be able to fight through that to to end up on the other side of that. So at least from my perspective, I'm not I'm not educated enough to give them that right to add them to the group of toughness. I'm sure in some aspects, because they do run million and billion dollar companies, they have some mental fortitude. However, just not knowing their story is tough for me to to give them that credit just because it would it would be a disservice to the individuals who had to fight through the adversity to get where they are. You know, I, I think, um, like, like you said, um, I don't know if I know enough, but I, I will say that um, in order to get to some of the, the levels that those guys have, have gotten to, it takes a couple of, more than a couple of, it, it, it takes a lot of late nights, right? It takes a lot of, um, 
sacrifice, right? And then when we add, when you uh, think of words like sacrifice and um, just that grit, that stand up late and being with, being willing to do whatever it takes to succeed, um, if you throw that into the conversation, then there's a bit of toughness in it. It's got to be. Keith, I'm with you, man. I, I can't believe that, well, that Spence took this position. Well, I didn't disagree. Like, I think you you're always looking. Did. You kind of uh, did I said, I, I said, I'm not educated enough to answer. Like, you're looking for to to have this this back and forth. I'm saying that I don't know. I'm not educated enough to, to make an assessment. Yeah, but if you didn't know what it took for them to get here, you've been a witness of what it takes for them to stay here. And that may be the real effort, right? And, and, and I'm just surprised because you're, you're a business owner, successful, and the amount of work that you have to put in day to day, right, as an officer of the business. That's fair. Right? I think you really, really have to take your hat off to guys like this because uh, Duckworth even goes into it, man. It's, the, it's this, yes, it's this, you made it, that could be lucky, man. That could be talent. She okay. says that the real grit, man, and I think Marquise hit it, is this daily grind, this grind. And and Keith said it because Keith has been around Rhythm Dribble for probably five, six, seven years. And we went for three. It's been 11 years, Keith. Has it been 11? <laughs> Good God. But, but we've been, you remember all the late nights? And we just, that's just the late nights just to get us through the next week or so. Yep. Right. And yep. and, and it, how it never leaves your mind and how despite the fact that we had been up 18 hours, we go sleep for two hours and we'd be right back at it again. So, again, I'm just surprised that well, that that you need so much proof when they've been around for so long because you know how easy it is to to fall apart. And that's both in business and in high level sports. We know that as well. Yeah. And. and Looking at it from that standpoint, I can certainly understand, right? It takes it takes a ton of effort um, to stay once you kind of acquire some success, to stay at that level. Um, you see it across the board, um, not only in business, as you mentioned, those individuals, but e even in sports, right? Um, they still have got to continue to get better, and it, it's tough to stay the guy because everybody's gunning for you. Um, so from that standpoint, I can, I can certainly see what you, what you're implying with those individuals. I get it. No, I'm not implying. You know, I'm, I'm expressly, I'm not, I'm not implying, <laughs> man. These, these guys deserve some credit. And I think the author of this thing, she's very clear about toughness. Although she was surprised when she got to schools and, and the talented kids kind of disappointed her, right? I think it started that question, that burning question for her is why do so many regular people fail at it? Right. And and it's easy to land, man, where you start to say, well, they lack this thing about them that makes them continue to work at it. Right. And we're early in this in, in, in unraveling this book. And that has become abundantly clear already. And without reading the book, we have demanded over the course of these podcasts, we have demanded that kids that make it are going to be at this thing every single day right, at this thing intently, right, and deliberately in order to make it. And that's why a lot of people fail at it. And these percentages are horrific in terms of everybody that steps up and says that basketball is going to be my choice and I'm going to make it in ball. And then they fall apart because we know that's that 1% number. We always have it.
right? That 1% number I think I talk about on every podcast. We've got to do our part to improve people's chances in this game, right? And part of that part is to remind parents of the reasons why people fail and then give them the tools to be able to uh, make their child's experience a little bit better. That's it. And I think that the author reminds us that clearly because she started to recognize that it's not the talented people that she needs to be focused on, right? They're not the real, the real stories. The stories are the guys that, I think she said it just like this. She called it returns generated by effort. That's where the focus of the conversation needs to, needs to remain. Um, I said earlier, she talked about some, she brought in some research and again, she evaluated high achievers and she was able to identify that this capacity for hard work exists in high achievers. So as we build young kids, we've got we've to convince them that that's a part of the journey and it's non-negotiable. Oh, absolutely. Without question. The gifted and talented, which we all hear about, right? I remember Jalen was in first grade, my first child. He had to get into the gifted and talented program, right? Because of its perceived reality. Whereas that's where it starts, right? It starts right there where you start to buy into these are all of the talented kids. And I just wish that people would know how hard these kids work. I wish that they could go into their houses a little bit and watch the focus of their, of their early childhood or the focus of their homework time. And to keep advanced kids working hard, they need to almost sign up that if you're being identified with some gifts early on in life, that you're also agreeing that you're gonna to continue to work hard throughout the, entire, throughout the entire process, that your effort's gonna remain high, right? That your grit, that your toughness is gonna to remain high throughout the entire plane. And I think if kids understand that from the beginning, what they are signing up for, I think that we'll, the world would be better. In chapter three, she reminds us that people would rather ignore this effort Right? And this is both parents and children. Parents are, are guilty here that it's easy to look at one of these talented basketball players locally or, or, or in college or in the NBA and just accept the fact that there's no explanation for it. He must be a natural. He or she must be a natural. And my problem with it is that there's no, we're not inside of their workout, right? Their social media doesn't put us in everything they do. So we end up, losing the fact that they put in so much work. So it gets lost there when we're just so willing to just, with no explanation, right, accept that that this person is a, is a natural. Yeah, and I guess maybe yeah. uh, along those lines is maybe what happened with me when you asked the question about the, the Bill Gates and the Steve Jobs, just not having been in their formative years prior to things getting off the ground, just not understanding what they've put in to get to this juncture. So that's kind of what maybe happened a little bit during during that conversation. But but certainly, um, I think people look to a successful person and they think something special and it's maybe unattainable. I can't be Michael Jordan. I can't be LeBron because they're special. They They have this thing that not many people have or nobody has. When really, maybe they just had the effort thing that anybody can have. 
you know, I, the first time this happened to me, um, the kid, uh, Colin Saxton, was becoming very relevant. Um, and I wanted to believe that he just was, it was all attitude and that he found himself having a very good weekend and um, things were starting to take off on because of it. I didn't want to believe because, you know, at the time we have our guys um, around that same age and they, they looking to get a pick too in the draft. And so at the time, um, I didn't want to believe that the kid was as hard of a worker as he was. I wanted to, I wanted to just believe that, you know, he was having his moment. But man, when you, when you look into it, um, that effort that he was putting out was no accident at all. And um, the the tidbits, because, you know, he's not, he's not one to put out things on social media, but the, the clips that you were getting, you were, you, it, it was understood that it, it was no accident, right? He's here and he's for real. Um, and so that's the first time, that was the first time that happened to me where I kind of uh, was wanted a, a peek inside of somebody's world and was hoping that things, um wasn't <laughs> what it was but it, it happens it happens all the time man it happens all the time especially in this social media age and not to mention we've identified keys over the years that there's a bunch of and she's identified it so it's not my language that there's a bunch of doable things so even in the greatest player or the most successful entrepreneur or the highest level performer we're able to kind of predict these doable things that make up the performance, that make up the greatness, and that's where the focus needs to be. So in, us, yeah. in, in, in an attempt to try to make things realistic, then all we have to do is focus, focus on the bunch of doable things that got them there. So instead of just accepting them as a natural, and even if we don't always have access to the things that they do, it's worth finding out what these doable things are that they're doing and attacking them one at a time in order to, in order to bring that success into our own home. You know what I mean? The other problem you guys, I thought was um, that it, she was very clear about. In fact, she called it mundanity. And she, she was very clear about how we as people, again, parents are guilty would almost prefer not explaining what a Michael Jordan does or a Steph Curry does. And maybe Bob was guilty of it, that this is the greatest shooter that the game has ever seen. Maybe we don't want to dive in to his daily work or the bunch of doable things, just merely because if we did, then now we may be on the hook for having to do them ourselves or having to justify why we're not doing them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it, it, it makes you reflect, right? And it makes you sit back and, and think what you could be doing different. And oftentimes, you know, especially early on when when I had a wife to come home to after <laughs> spending late nights with you, um, knocking out work, I had to, I felt like I had to give her a reason as to why the work um, while we were working so hard and the person that I kept running into over and over again was uh, Warren Buffett, right? And Warren Buffett would go on and say things like, 
I didn't know what a weekend was before I met my wife, right? And and explaining that to her, um, I was it it took me reflecting and having to um, give her a message to say like, so babe, this is this is as easy as showing up every day, being very consistent and working extremely hard, yes. right? And living life like there's no weekend, right? And I just work my butt off. But I think that's what she's saying. I think she's she's saying that there's a, a finite number of things that if you're willing to do, then you can get to those levels that you want to get to. Absolutely. And the message is clear for the parents of the children that come even come into the training facilities across the world. Absolutely. Right? That Absolutely. there are the doable things. And like you said, you listen to a Warren Buffett, and if you be very careful, because if you mess around and do enough of the things that he's doing, then you're gonna mess around and get enough of the things that he's got. You got it. Right? And that's the same message for the little kids, which if you do enough of what Steph did, then be very careful because you may find yourself as one of the better shooters in the area. Right? So I just thought that that couldn't go ignored because she went further and she talked about effort and how it's being ignored and she talked about how it takes effort to improve but then it also takes effort to apply what was improved right so this effort thing can't go ignored because if it does then we're going to have a major hole in the process right that yes you have to wake up at six o'clock in the morning spence and i i tell you we went after it earlier in the podcast where we would say, so you mean five o'clock in the morning, every morning? If that's what it takes, that's the effort piece of it. That's the effort piece that cannot go ignored, right? That's the effort piece yeah. that the greats are doing it, right? And if they're not doing it now, they did it along the way, right? So we have to be willing to do those kinds of things. She also offered that effort is responsible for a lot. And she gave an example of Will Smith. And Spence and I was talking about Will Smith before, before this um, podcast. And he was very clear. He said, I don't think I'm so talented. He said, that's not it. He said that I just have this unbelievable work ethic. And then he used this comparison. He said, I guess he said I could stay on the treadmill longer than anybody else. No, so what he said was that I just have. Oh, he's not afraid to die yes, on the treadmill. Yes, I just have the, yeah, I'm not afraid to die on the treadmill. And then going further into explaining it, meaning that if you may be more talented than him, you may, you may be more attractive, you may, uh, whatever the case may be, you may have him beat in nine out of 10 categories. However, you will not outwork him was his, was his thought. And that if you stood side by side and you asked him and anyone else to get on the treadmill, he was sure of two things, that you were going to get off first or he was going to die on that treadmill because that's just yeah. who he was. And that's the commitment that he had to whatever he did. And that's what it takes to be successful in this game of basketball, in this game of life, that's the mental toughness, being able to push your mind and your body beyond the limits of what you think they can do. And so that's why I always point to this mental toughness, whereas 
I'm not saying the physical isn't is it needed. I just know that the mental far outweighs it because it can take you further. At some point, that physical, your physical body begins to break down, right? I'm not the same guy that I was in in year one of my career as I am in year 17. So for me to be able to get to year 17, I've got to have that mental toughness. And that's that thing that, that Will was displaying by saying, I'm willing to die on that treadmill. She, she went further and she was talking about how this grit, this toughness, how it's the, it's the intersection of passion and then perseverance. And she kind of dove into those things um, to really explain where the motivation has to come from in order to achieve these, these particular heights. She gave an example of a journalist who gave up everything in order to be a journalist. So you could look at this journalist in his life's work, in his daily grind, and you could say, okay, he wants to be a journalist. I think too many people, parents and children alike, when they describe their story, there's too many things that contradict the very place that they're trying to go. Like I can think of a, a Nick inside of the basketball gym daily and I can think of his approach to it and all I'm saying is I can certainly appreciate knowing that his daily activity is directly in line with where he wants to go with the sport of basketball mm-hmm. right this, I'm very clear about that Keys you in high school don't you face this kind of issue where yes you don't see where it where there's this large level consistency. Yeah, yeah. I feel like every kid wants this division one life where they're going to play high school basketball, they're going to show out, um, a college is going to come to the school and offer them. When the reality is, you know, they're not willing to do the things that it takes in order to get that scholarship. And they might think the passion is there, right? They may, in their own minds, believe that this is where I really want to be. But at the same time, you have you have distractions that are very real to them. You know, um, especially at the high school level, girls are real. Right. Yeah. You know, and for the girls, boys are real. Um, that's a very real distraction. Um, depending on the school that you go to, your course load, your, your course work is a very real distraction. Um, family vacations is a very, very real distraction. And once they, once they're challenged with these things that take them away from their division one goal, some are way too willing to say, Oh yeah, you know what? I just, I just really want to go to college. Right. I, I, I just really, I really, really just wanted to go to college. You know, I don't have to go um, and play a Division One basketball. Yeah, lower the bar a bit. Right? Absolutely. Drop the bar for real. She went further and talked about how passion is not like fireworks. And I thought that I had to kind of bring that on to kind of remind parents and, and players that what she's saying is that there's this, this kid that has this, is capable of this, high level output this intense workout right where they 
give you everything they got, and you're able to kind of sit back and say, whoa, that kid kind of goes after it. And then you don't see him for four days. So when she talks about passion and perseverance, she's clear to remind us of stamina over intensity. What she's saying is that the stamina is important because there's no shortcuts. It takes a lot of time in order to first learn and then apply, right? So you have to be very clear that this is not a one-time deal. This is a daily, the next day, the next day, the next day. We have to make sure over and over and over that we are putting ourselves in position to move forward with it all. Yeah, right? if I can if I can chime in, I think you're you're referencing as there was a writer, his is John Irving, right? And he's actually dyslexic and he learns a lot different and he didn't understand early on because he was getting bad grades um what the issue was, but as he identified himself that he was dyslexic and he learned a little different, um he was able to to compensate by doing the same thing over and over. If he had a paragraph to read, he would just read it slower than everyone and follow it with his, with his finger. Um, long story short, I won't bore you with that, but he was able to become an award-winning writer at the end of it. And his thing was he, he understood that it took a long time and a lot of effort to get where he needed to be. But more importantly, he had to do the same thing over and over to become better at it. And she openly wondered when you have talented people, things tend to come a little faster to them. So they don't do them over and over. And so the question that she said was much like you just mentioned, do the talented people ever fully understand that it's not the intensity, it's the effort that really matters. It's the effort. No, it's the effort over the long, over the long haul. Over the long haul, yes. right? That gets right. it done. Because she also she she was able to parallel passion with the enthusiasm, and it's the enthusiasm that allows people to create the ways to get it done, right? So sometimes Absolutely. we as parents we we're, we're hard on our child because say you didn't even set your alarm, right? We have to continue to give them tools to be able to understand and connect the alarm clock with the division one goal, right? right? The alarm clock with the, with the beating the kid that you couldn't beat last Saturday, right? It's that enthusiasm that allowed for Bobby. I remember Bobby talked about he hung a crate on the tree, right? In order to shoot mm -hmm. baskets on in the morning. That was, that's the passion, right? It's, yeah. it has to be there because it takes so much time to build it. And like he said, so many distractions the road is so rough right there's so much adversity in there that without the passion i think uh the the author here duckworth she hits it on the head she says dreamers can't get this right dreamers can't have this because too many obstacles exist for somebody who's non-committed or non-enthusiastic about the goal and, and let me jump in because i, I feel often that you know adults whether it be the parent, the coach, the trainer, we we want to leave it up to the kid. We want to say, "Yo, you don't, you didn't wake up at five this morning." But for for a young mind, your 
your support system has got to understand your goals. Yes. Right. Your support system has got to be your help you with your stamina, you know, until it starts to take over for you. Um, like if, if I have a, once Noah gets of age, right. And he says, yo, dad, I want to play division one basketball. Yo, go write it down. Go write it down right now. And every day I'm going to point you to this. So when I wake you up at five 30 in the morning, and you like, Dad, why you got to wake me up this early? I'm going to point you right to your goal. That's right. And, right? I, and I'm not going to condemn you, right? We're going to work at it. Let's work at it together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm not mad that you that you don't, that you're tired, right? I'm tired too, but we're no tired question. together. We're going to wake Absolutely. up. We're going to get done. You know, when, when that report card comes home and it's not what it should be, right? And you, you're wondering why I'm upset. I'm going to point you to your goal. Right. I'm like, oh, this is not in line with what you said we were going to do. Like, what do we need to do to correct this situation? Yeah. And in a lot of times, um, I think it's easier to put it on the athlete because um, it's passing the blame. Right. But I think we, we jump on it. We jump in the journey with the kids. And I think the people that are the most successful, um, especially in this basketball world, they have that structure they had that support system yeah. that jumped on the train with them remember the parent that wrote the email i thought they hit it on the head when they were talking about unless you're the seven footer right who has this path paved right. for you right where people are going to people are going to get you but i thought keith you were right in line when you talked about the goal setting because that's the next thing that duckworth said she's very clear about it she's adamant and she offered this example and the example was clear she said that there was, I think it was Tom Seaver, this Hall of Fame pitcher. It talks about how he had this goal mm -hmm. and he was very clear about his goal. It said, I want to be the best pitcher every day that I can. And you guys will have a lot to say about this. That was what Angela Duckworth said is his high level goal, his most important goal. Then he talked about how that goal forced him to make some concessions, make some sacrifices daily. And this is where I criticize parents a bit because, or players themselves, because in order for him to be the best pitcher every day that he can, he was very clear that he has to eat a particular diet. He went as far as to say that he can only eat cottage cheese during stretches in the off season instead of cookies. He talked about, no petting dogs with his pitching hand. He talked about going to bed at a reasonable time. And some people say that this is obsession, where if you have clear order to what your goals are, then this becomes common sense, right? That you can't afford to not be it. Right. I can't wait to hear y'all's thought about this. Be careful, Spence. Because you have prior episodes where this obsession thing was a was an issue for you a little bit. But now I have some support. You understand what I'm saying? Where if you don't have these high-level goals and then mid-level goals that support it. In other words, you can't have at that top level that I want to be the best pitcher every day. And you don't sleep at night. Listen. Or you eat a fatty diet where you're going to pick up weight. Right, those are contradictions. That's one perspective from one individual. Does it make it right? That's an opinion. Like, so 
<laughs> while you try to hold me to the fire into prior episodes, I still stand on what I say. Like, there's more than one way to do this thing. So just because what worked good for Tom Seaver may not work for Randy Johnson, may not work for Hershiser, right? Like, they did. I can guarantee you they didn't do the exact same thing. I have Marquise here today. And every and I can guarantee you that when we say who's the best pitcher ever, nobody's yelling Tom Seaver. So I don't know why you're gonna list him as the the go to guy that I've got. A, he's the Holy Grail, and he said it, and so now I should believe it. <laughs> this sounds like another Patrick Ewing situation, but that's cool. I just I'm gonna ignore that because yeah. I have keys here. Let me let me see if I can paint it again. Marquise said when his son comes to him and says that I want to be a Division One basketball player. Marquis said he's going to nurture that this idea that, son, is this what you care about? Is this what we're going to write on this paper as this is our thing? Certainly. And certainly. Okay, good. So we're now it's not. We're going to go about it our way. Right? We're going to go about it our way. Who, Marquis? Or you talking about you and your I'm family? talking about me because <laughs> you're, you're trying to paint me in a corner again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I see you got your roller out, so I'm. I'm I'm just letting you know I'm not going good, to the good. corner. I'll, I'll turn corner. I'll let Marquise talk in a second. All right. My concern is, and I see it all the time, is I see people are very willing to write the high-level goal down. They're, they're willing to say, I want to be a Division I basketball player. And the problem is that their mid-level and short-term goals are not always in line with the goal. That's the part that scares me for the 99% of the people that don't make it. I'm concerned about it, right? Because they're just doing things without consideration of what the purpose is, right? And that's the reason why I'm so obsessed with it all. Because people say that they want it. And if they really want it, we just talked about how this is a bunch of doable things. So if, so if we just can focus our lives around what we said would make us happy, then more people would be happy. There would be more than the 1% of the people that play the game in high school that go on and, and, and play Division One basketball. That's my concern about the whole thing. Keith, go, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. Um, and it, the whole thing goes back to um, once you have that goal, too often people are willing to um, write their goals down. And once they see that it's not as achievable as they once thought, they're too willing to lower the bar. Um, and once again, we already know that if we are just committed to what we say the goal is, then it's much more achievable. Uh, a lot of times when, when people are going after their goals, it looks like them to, it, it looks like an obsession to average people, right? People that have had have had the bar lowered for them, right? Um, so me going after what it is I really want, like if I want to be the best pitcher and I want to do everything that it takes to be the best pitcher, it, I might look obsessed in my daily routine, right? If I want to be a Division One basketball player and I'm waking up at 5.30 in the morning and I'm getting up shots 
and I'm lifting in the morning and then I go to basketball practice and I come back and I train at night. That looks like an obsession to people that also want to be a Division One basketball player, but the bar was lower, right? And those are the people that are, are judging our journey, right? Keep your head down, forget about them. Yeah, as from my standpoint, I will, I'm saying that I don't disagree with either of you, right? I do believe you have to be obsessive and you've got to sacrifice some things. Where we defer is that I'm saying that perhaps you want to work out at 5 a.m. and maybe I want to work out at midnight. We're still going to work out. It's just different ways to get there. You're going to take a, a Mazda to the gym. I'm going to drive a Ford. I'm saying it's subjective on what it takes to get there. You've got to put in some work, but there's no predefined checklist that says, I can guarantee you if you do these 20 things this exact way, you're going to get there. It's too subjective on anything, and especially because it's ever-changing. The game ain't what it ain't what it was 20 years ago. Life ain't what it was 20 years ago. There's technology. There's evolution. It's it, Things are ever-changing, so there can't be a static regiment to always get to the place that you want to go. I, I think we, I thought we, I thought we mentioned that um, being put in the fire reveals character, right? Certainly. So if I, if you want to be a division one basketball player and I tell you to meet me at 530 every morning and you're unwilling to do that, you might be unwilling to be a division one basketball player. Thank you, Keith. Right? Preach. That's it. And that's, that's period. That's that and I just remember, Keith. I needed you about seven months ago, eight nine months ago, because I think you're right that these are doable things, man. Certainly, right? And and especially those those are impactful things, right? So we can't avoid the impactful things. We can't trade impactful things for convenient things, right? Because that I think we sacrifice the the opportunity or the willingness to be the best at it that the reality i thought kobe revealed this and, and and keith we're cheating a little bit because we both read the mamba book during summer camp and to kids and he was clear that he moved his workout to five o'clock deliberately so that he could create more time in his schedule to get both workouts in or yeah. three or four workouts in and this is the problem. I, I kind of face it with older kids where um, I'm done with the 5 o'clock thing. I'm done with the 5 a.m. thing. At what expense are you done with the 5 a.m. thing? Right? The things that you ought to be done with are the things that get in the way of you giving up the five, uh, getting to the 5 a.m. workout. Absolutely. If we're looking at it genuinely. So, again, I don't think that it's, it has to be done my way. But there are a list of doable things that must be accomplished. And if doing it your way means that you can't get an entire workout in, just in terms of pure time, then all I was saying back then is that just revisit it and do what Kobe Bryant would do. That's all I'm offering. Right? And to, to your point, 
I think you're right. I think that when if you are in the ten percent club, right, when you six six and above, um, things can be on your term a little bit, right? You don't you don't have to be tested as much. Um, but when you're when you're not in that club, you know, you, you gotta take advantage of every opportunity and um you gotta be willing to overcome that adversity and adversity might just be waking up. Oh, it most certainly is the adversity, especially when you went to bed at twelve o'clock at night. Yo, I'm Absolutely. I'm not against it, right? I'm not against no, waking up again. early. I think I'm we convinced a, you. No, I'm not changing. You, you just gotta let me finish the statement. I'm not against it, right? I'm just saying that your way of doing it may not be my way of doing it. I'm not pointing to anything in particular. I'm not against waking up. I'm not a. I'm not against anything in in in, in essence, right? I'm just saying that don't get stuck on one way. And you have this. You have this thing. Daryl, where it's it's one way. And I'm just saying that that's not that's not the case in my opinion. I, I just think it's not my way. It is. No, it's not my way because Marquise is here. I'm telling you that I read that from enough players to that's identify fair. that it creates the adversity. It's the adversity that we're after. It's not the five o'clock regimen, right? It's the opportunity that we're after, the fact that now I can get a fourth or fifth workout in. Right, it's not my way. It's just I'm trying to get more. I'm trying to get them there. That's all I want to do. And I say that all the time. I am the guy that wants to improve the one percent, and I want to improve the one percent at all costs. Yo, you can't tell me that everybody. If we're just gonna get stuck on the five a.m., you can't tell me that everybody who worked at at five a.m. made the NBA. I'm not. I'm not. I can't. I can only talk about the people that I have an impact on. And right? all of them haven't made the NBA. I know, but. We're trying to improve the 1%, right? Because you know that the guys that did that, we sure increased our chances to become become, yep. become the 1%. That's all that we did. And I just don't want to be looked at as obsessed about it all just merely because, remember, my sons have gone now, right? My sons are gone, man. This is about, this is about other people's children, and I merely want to offer them a route in. And I thought that this book, Grit, I just thought that it hit on some things that I believe in, so, right? And it wasn't handpicked because of that. It was just a book. It just so happens that now I have some proof for some of the things we've talked about in the past. That's it. I got you. So, um, and good thing Marquise was here tonight. Nah, I <laughs> the last thing tonight, fellas, is nature versus nurture. Is this grit toughness? Because I think that. I thought we really caught a momentum in the podcast. We came in, Bob identifies this toughness as this physical, as this inward, excuse me, as this inward, outward kind of thing. We kind of evolved it along with the last episode to make it this mental toughness, to be this stamina across time, to be this sacrifice of, of things. My question is, can we take the toughness? Can we put it into kids that may not have it? Is it natural only? Can you only be born with it? What do you guys think? Nature, nurture, what do you guys think? And then we'll dive into um, to, to Grit and, and Miss Duckworth and what she thought. So obviously some, 
some kids naturally have it, right? But that don't mean that if you were not born with it, that you can't obtain it. Um, we've seen countless times when uh, kids come in for rhythm dribble, especially the lifers, right? When uh, they, they initially come in and they don't quite have, they don't quite have it, right? They, uh, they, they cry, um, they, they whine, but over time, once they, once they're in the process for long enough, you start to see them grow up, right? I think about a kid that I had on my team, very, very, very fragile mentally. I remember, um, his first time at rhythm dribble was our first day at practice and, um, you know, practice is not easy. You know, I run the guys, you know, we're doing defense, we're yelling, we're pushing up. Um, and he went to the bathroom and cried for like 30 minutes and came back after practice. And then his dad made him go to a rhythm dribble workout where it's like he doubled down on uh, the kid's toughness that day. And I've just remembered um, that family been around for a while. And this kid, all of a sudden, he he came in with confidence when he walked up the steps. You know, he would, he went from having his head down all the time and not really talking to people to coming in the gym and dapping people up right, and right. displaying confidence, right? And his game changed, right? He went from being just a, a, a taller person that had a little bit of skill to dominant, right? Um, and I've seen that over and over and over again in, in kids um, that have come through. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I think it's nurture um, for sure. You can definitely, you can definitely put it into an individual over time. It just it's in line with the um, the author John Irving, as I, as I spoke about earlier, is just doing the same things over and over. And over time, you'll begin to master them. So I believe in, in the, that's the same thing with toughness and, and mental and mental toughness. Like over time, it can be obtained. You just got to keep working at it daily and, and, and regimented and, and following the same thing. And eventually, it will, it'll come out of you. The book identifies it clearly. Um, it talks about how Life teaches the children and adults lessons. And as a result of those lessons, there's an adaptation, right, to those lessons, right? That's clear. So that's okay. So that's, that's the textbook conversation. Uh, she was clear about, um, in, in, through her research, that be sure to overextend children, um, that certainly there's, there's learning to be, to be had from the overextension of the child. She offered a great example, I remember. She talked about uh, basketball and how just a generation before, people weren't able to do the things that the new generation is able to do. And she talked about how that was the case. Um, if we go out onto a basketball court, I guess she talked about with the popularization of basketball, more people playing it. She says that if you go and play with somebody that's a little bit better than you, then 
you begin to see the new act activity. And then as a result of the success of the new activity, then you begin to adapt and put that into your own ball game. So if this happens enough, there's this continued evolution of basketball. And it's easy for us then to understand how the game has become so sophisticated over time. It's not by mistake. It happened systematically just by people playing the sport, how TV, he talked about, has evolved the game, how social media in our world has helped to evolve the game. Just by us seeing the improvements or the more effective movements, we tend to incorporate them into our own ball game. So she did offer that. She talked about another good example of the sophistication of the world is how, is how our children, if you think about when we were in school, we were taught with this memorization, memorize everything. Whereas yeah. now, when you look at education, how, Keith, we're asking the kids to think abstractly and Absolutely. reason and, right, and inquire. Whereas that didn't happen when we were in school. It was, you didn't memorize it, then it's not going to work. Right. She was able to close with another clear set of thoughts and how as time goes on, people tend to get grittier, tend to get tougher in our case. So then there's no mistake why a 40-year-old dad can tell his 8-year-old son and demand that he be tougher, right? Because the dad has gone through some things that have made him more mature, right? That has mm -hmm. made him critical of the generation after him. So it's easy for right. us to say they're a little softer than we were. You understand? Because we have sophisticated ourselves. Right. And how we could begin to understand based on our own life pattern if we're being conscientious that as the child grows, they're going to mature as well. And that maturity is going to allow them to be able to embrace many of the things that we talk about, about this, this authentic toughness, right? This stamina, this confidence. So in yes. the short term, we've got to be sure to put the building blocks in place, to put the supports in place that make sure that when the child gets there, that all the things are in place so that the child can parlay the early development into some Absolutely. of the long-term goals that they're trying to achieve. Absolutely. Right? And that, that goes for that not just not just mental toughness, that goes for the skill as well, but uh, definitely, definitely mental toughness. Um, and I know Rhythm Dribble, we we proud ourselves on um, delivering that part of it. You know, I think back to when um, someone, someone, one of the lifers, um, dads gave you a phone call about a bad weekend that uh, his kid had. And you told me, <laughs> you told me we were in the basement. He said, no, nah, I'm going to get his ass. <laughs> so uh, the next day in training, um, he, we're going through war, right? And even when he won, 
you wouldn't call it a win, right? Mm. Even like when it was clear as day, he won in the game of war. You called it for the other kid and you see um, you were tapping into that mental space where we talked about uh, before where uh, we, we need to, we need to find his character. We need to level this kid's um, mental toughness, right? And we need to find it so we can grow it. And that's one of the nights that will stand out in my mind because I remember um, the reason that, that week was so important for him was because one of the bigger weekends were coming up and we were in the gym on a Saturday. You got a phone call that he bought out, right? right? And I, I, I took that and I parlayed it directly to you busting him in this moment, right? And us going years without seeing him have a breakdown to him having a breakdown, working through this breakdown, and then going and ball out um, on the, in the weekend. So I think, I think what we do is very, very special, man. And um, people that are alone for the ride, for the long haul, right, um, they are definitely going to get the benefit of the mental toughness development that we offer. Right, yeah. I, I just think you raised a good point. She raised it too. Again, I, I think Duckworth hit it, hit it on the head. A couple of really, really good points that allow for us to have this conversation in an organized fashion, right? I mm -hmm. thought that she said this. Coaching is vitally important to the nurturing of toughness, this mental toughness. Of course it is. That bad coaching is going to send the child in the wrong direction. But effective, yeah. strategic, well-thought-out coaches, yes, man, they, they, that's putting tools in kids' toolbox, right? Yeah. That, and these are mandatory tools, right, that say that you're going to grow up one day. And when you grow up, you got some gifts in your toolbox that we put in there for you. Right. So we have to yeah. be very careful and coaches have to begin to know it. And us as trainers as well, we, we, we're not, we're not right. off the hook. Right. That we have to make sure that we're putting valuable tools in children's toolboxes early things that matter because yeah. we can't waste their time because it's the difference between them potentially entering into, into the 1% or them becoming a vic becoming victimized of sort, because I know that there are collateral lessons that are valuable as well. But yeah. if the goal was to get into the 1%, early coaching is vital. And early coaches and, and trainers need to be conscientious of their, of their role. I, yeah. I'm telling you, sir, and I've been, I've been known to be hard on coaches and trainers alike, um, because I think that, coaches and trainers should have the same level of education, if not more, than um, the grade level teachers. The teachers, absolutely. And here's why. If you, if you think what it takes to create a long-term memory, right, you need an event and you need emotion. Right. Who else taps into emotion more than a sports game, right? Like, 
or, or a sports training module. That's when your emotions are the highest. We have the event. We have basketball. We have the basketball game. We have basketball practice. And then you take that and you tie it to an emotion, right? And whatever the coach says in that moment, whatever the coach does becomes a lifelong memory for these people. And sometimes you have coaches that are so, so hard that they never give the lesson, right? Um, You have a trainer that's so, so hard that they never give the lesson. They never put a tool in the toolbox um, for that individual, right? And that's what that's what makes us special. I think that for as hard as we for as hard as we are, we understand that um, a I need to give a tool, and b I need to show love at the same time, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm gonna be hard on you. I'm gonna be, but at the same time, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the first person to clap it up for you, right? Yeah. And um, I'm very I was I was I'm very critical. Um, when it comes to these coaches and these trainers that don't understand the mental part of it. Yeah, I think that's pretty valuable just based off the fact that there's a ton of those individuals in this day and age, and especially in this area. Um, and I believe there's probably, unfortunately, um, I know certainly when it comes to to some of the coaching, right, just because it tends to be fathers of a child, Um and while you commend them for volunteering, uh, a lot of them just tend to miss the boat that they're so impactful to these young men or these young women at such a young age, and it can have a lifelong um, effect on them. And again, it affects their stamina, right? It's, it affects yeah. the very thing that's going yeah. to allow us or prevent us from calling them tough. It's the very it. thing, it's the fabric, right? So that early experience is vital. Right, and if I, I just know us, Keys. If we had our chance, we would certainly offer some advice to to some of these early coaches and these and these early trainers in terms of just things to consider about it all. You follow me? But in this case, parents have an opportunity to just be conscientious about it, that those early experiences are valuable. That their that their child has the chance. It's not. This is not toughness in the sense that you're asking your child to go and um, punch somebody in the face in the middle of the game, right? Because they fouled them, right? It's just the opposite that we're asking your child to keep their mind and keep their vision and their sight on the real goals, right? right? To avoid that conflict just so that they can get to training in the morning and get closer to their to the goal that they have in the first place. You got it. Right? In closing, I want to identify a story that just identifies that children aren't static. They're always learning. Uh, and it's not my story. Again, it's a story from the book. She identifies a young girl who, throughout the course of her life, she was always late for everything. And she tells her dad she wants to get a job. So... She goes and gets a job, but the problem with the job is dad was with her and is the, her boss tells her that in this job, you always have to be on time. If you're late one time, you're fired. So they get home and the dad on the way home is saying to himself, well, this isn't going to last very long because she's going to be late. 
What he noticed immediately is that she started to set two alarms just to make sure that she's up and she's to work on time. I think at the end of the day, she was successful over time. I think at the end of the day, you recognize, it's important to recognize that just when you think your child doesn't have the characteristics that you look for, trust your work because yeah. they're capable of changing and they're capable of evolving at any moment, just as we have adult, just as we as adults do. All right, just something to think about for you guys. No doubt, no doubt. All right. Yeah, so yeah, in closing, um, I know with this episode, with episode one, we certainly, um, in my opinion, we we hit a lot on the physical toughness. Um, and the goal of episode two was to really, really tap into the mental toughness and how you build that in and and the research that's been put into some of that. And it's important that the listeners take away that it's both aspects that's needed. However, it's a lot harder to get that mental toughness. Um, Keith? Yeah. And then um, for me, I, I really want adults to take away from this that we are 100% responsible for our children's mental capacity. Um, one more time, we are. 100% responsible for our children's mental capacity. And it takes a village. Make sure that we have those people in the village that identify the goal and are on board with getting the kids to the goal and making sure that they have the mental capacity um, to get there. For me, you guys, Again, I really enjoy podcasts like this. I enjoy kind of the evolution of it. I appreciate Marquise coming in and again, offering his, his nurturer kind of pers perspective. But it's important that we understand that Rhythm Dribble and places like Rhythm Dribble for their, for their long-term goals and their long-term impacts on children and their, and their willingness to overextend children a bit just so that we can create the adversity, to create the conflict that creates the growth. When we put this thing into perspective, you know, we spend time on the podcast just to make sure that parents can take lessons away that strengthen their child, that move their child through a continuum, that evolve their child to be a better person. It's important to understand that the 1% means a lot to me, improving the 1% in the sport means a lot to me. And I think tonight we kind of hit on a, a tough topic and I don't want this it to get lost. And I think this is, this is the important one. This is it. This is the substance that begins to start the courageous conversation that has parents sit their child down and begin to probe what is the goal. And once we're able to establish it, that we're able to establish activity that's associated with that goal and in line with that goal as well. If I had it my way, we continue this conversation to try to dive into what are some specific things that we can do in order to advise parents or in order to empower parents to be able to improve the experiences of their children, right? That's why we started the podcast in the first place. And I thought tonight was 
was evidence of that, and I thought that it pushed us in the in the direction of that as well. All right, so I appreciate you guys coming on again, Marquise. I appreciate you guys coming out and offering value to right. to listeners. Uh, and and Spence, uh, as usual, man, I, I I appreciate the time. All right. Don't forget to check out Rhythm Dribble on Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash Rhythm Dribble. It's the first opportunity for me to really give away some secrets to kind of just share some of the things that I know and also to put into context the training and some of the decisions that must be made along this difficult journey. The first thing is a video of the old warehouse that describes how the rhythm dribble culture that you guys see today was originally established, especially because people hear stories about this old warehouse all the time, kind of this myth. And this is a real opportunity to put a visual to some of those stories. The second thing is the first players podcast where two current players share their experience and young experiences at that. It establishes how they see rhythm dribble and then it also establishes some of the goals that they set for themselves in the future. And the third thing is a freebie. It's a goal sheet that is to be filled out by your player and it begins the conversation about accountability and recognition of some things. My plan for these goal sheets and what can be done with them are enormous. Trust me, you guys, this is just the beginning. Thanks for tuning in. Also, be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to leave a comment. Let us continue to evolve this product so we can meet the exact needs of trainees, families, coaches, and trainers. Again, I'm your host, Daryl Adams. You've been listening to the Rhythm Dribble Basketball Development Podcast. I look forward to talking to you guys next episode.